Happiness is an inside job. I don't know if somebody said that already, but um, I'm going to say it now. Happiness is an inside job, you know? People are naturally happy when they cease to be dependent on external things. Coming up, learn the secrets to happiness and inner peace with awakening coach Arjuna Ardaw. Next on Change Nation from First30Days.com. Happiness. Isn't that what we all want just a lot more of? And yet, so many of us struggle with being happy one day and then unhappy the next. Maybe there's a change that's happened that just has completely thrown you off. Maybe you just want to wake up and just feel happier with the day ahead. There's a lot of research out there on happiness. Every magazine cover and book seems to have some sort of great plan and steps to being happier. Today on Change Nation, my guest is Arjuna Arda. He is the best-selling author of several books, including The Translucent Revolution and his most recent book, Leap Before You Look. He's an awakening coach who works with clients all over the world to wake up to that inner happiness, that joy and consciousness as the foundation for a wonderful life. Arjuna is with us to share his views on happiness and the first 30 days of how to get started. Arjuna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ariane. It's great to be with you. So Arjuna, why are so many of us unhappy? Well, if we had to put the answer to that in one word, I would say thinking. It's actually really difficult to be unhappy if you're not thinking. (laughs) And we're so used to thinking, and we're so used to living in the world of thinking, that it sounds almost like uh, nonsensical to say that. But really, every aspect of mental suffering that we experience is tied in some way to arguing with or resisting what is happening in this moment. So... Is the problem that we're thinking about the wrong things and we're focusing on the wrong things, or should we just replace thinking with something else? Aha, that's a brilliant question. You know, actually, that's been the dominant um, approach for the last probably 30 years, is that you should replace your unhappy thoughts with happy thoughts. And that's really been the whole foundation for what we call the personal growth movement or the transformation movement or the self-improvement movement, is that we should somehow make the me into a better me. Now, there was a philosopher in Russia uh, in the last century who some people may have heard of. He's an acquired taste. His name was George Gurdjieff. And George Gurdjieff, he once said, humankind lives in a prison cell of its own creation. And most people are happy to rearrange the furniture in the prison cell and to call that freedom. I love that quote so much. I love it. Never heard it. Rearrange the furniture in the prison cell and to call that freedom. That's what he means, you see, to change negative thinking into positive thinking, to change unhappy thoughts into positive thoughts. Yes, now you've got a more beautiful prison cell, but you're still trapped within the limits of the mind. Every now and then, Ariane, you and I both know that everybody at some point has glimpses at least of what it's like to come into direct relationship with things as they are beyond thinking. 
for some people it happens when they make love. And I think that's partly actually why making love is such a popular thing to do. It's most people don't have sex to make babies. They have sex because at least in a moment of orgasm, they stop thinking. And my God, you're overwhelmed by powerful feelings. And suddenly there's this rush of enormous energy and connection because you stop thinking. I think it's the same reason people jump out of airplanes or go bungee cord jumping or drive fast cars, because if the pace is fast enough, you stop thinking and suddenly you feel what it's like to be truly alive. Now, my particular little contribution to what's happening in the world today is to teach people how to consciously learn, not exactly to stop the mind, but how to sidestep it how to no longer let the mind be the dominant force impacting this moment. And that's really all about what an awakening coach does. That's about the work that the people I train do, is to be able to coach people in how to wake up from the quagmires of the mind and to have a direct relationship with reality. So I want to talk a lot more about what exactly you do and and what is this concept of awakening. Before we do that, what happens when we're young that suddenly has us connect to so much suffering and have, has us go into the prison cell and into more of a choice of being unhappier as opposed to being happier as most children are? Yeah, I think that's actually a multidimensional, a very complex question. It's a question that a lot of people ask me um, in interviews, but also in, in coaching is, you know, why is there this suffering? You know, there was an ancient uh, sage in China. He was actually the sage who was responsible for bringing Buddhism from India to China. His name was Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma was said to be a great sage who could answer every question, who gave great teachings. And one day he was sitting in a cave, actually in China, meditating. And um, somebody asked him, why is there this mental suffering? And he is reputed to have turned his back on the questioner and faced the wall of the cage of the cave. As if to say, you know, that is the one question to which there is really no answer. It's a mystery. Truly, deeply, it's a mystery why reality is so splendid, so multicolored, so exciting, so challenging. There's so much opportunity in each moment. It's a mystery to know really deeply why we suffer in the way we do unnecessarily. And I'm not talking about physical suffering, you know, like having cancer or not having enough to eat. Most people that you and I know, Ariane, most people I'm sure who listen to your show and who visit your website, they're, not, they're probably not experiencing life and death physical suffering. They're probably experiencing the suffering created by worry and regret, the suffering of the mind. Do you think with all the thousands of people that you've met and coached and taught have you really seen a lot of people who are fundamentally quite pessimistic and unhappy really connect with that more permanent feeling of happiness as opposed to it being very dependent on external things yes i really have Ariane. i really have i feel very very inspired by the shifts that i've seen uh in people over the years and Sometimes, you know, I travel and um, I'll go to a city and maybe then go back after two years. And I'm so amazed by someone who was just dipping a toe in the water of stepping outside of the mind two years later to be really on fire. 
And actually, many of the people who I work with, the, my, my co-instructors and staff at the Living Essence Foundation, I've seen such extraordinary shifts in them. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of a, of a woman I work with who's our admissions counselor now, who really was quite new to this four or five years ago. And she, you look in her eyes now, she's on fire. She's just on fire with a joy that has no external reason at all. Now, I'm not going to say I take full personal credit for that. That would be uh, bordering on the insane. But it's a, it's, a, it's a shift that is happening for us collectively. More and more people at faster and faster rate, in a deeper and deeper way, are learning how to live in an atmosphere of radiant, outrageous, and causeless freedom. I love that. So let's let's get right into it. Let's talk yeah. about this concept of waking up. Let's talk about, is, is that process of awakening, is that the way to be happier? Happiness, I would say, Ariane, is an inside job. I don't know if somebody said that already, but um, I'm going to say it now. Happiness is an inside job, you know. Really, what I've noticed from working with people a lot is people are naturally happy when they cease to be dependent on external things. Now, you've probably noticed this. If you uh, go on holiday, people often feel very happy on holiday because they've stopped, they've stopped uh, running their agenda of all the things they've got to do. If you simply sit in nature, nature, by the way, of course, is just an external representation of your natural state internally. If you sit in a beautiful place and just look and just wait, you'll find you start to feel happy, unless you're running loads and loads of thoughts, in which case you may need to wait for three or four weeks for it to calm down. But sooner or later, you'll start to feel a happiness which is arising from your own nature, more than from having got the right job or the right money or the right this or the right that, and all of those things that come from outside, playful and enjoyable as they may be, they are all within the world of change, and they will all sooner or later disappear again. But there is a source of well-being that comes from who you are, not from what you've got and what you do. And in my opinion, the entire planet is waking up now to the absolutely essential necessity of a global awakening, of, of learning to live as a race, free from acquisition and greed and conflict in a place of radiant presence. So Arjuna, here's a, probably a very simplistic question for you. Love it. Everyone loves plans. Everyone loves, tell me what to do. So someone's hearing you, they're very inspired, and they're only going to hear you for a short while. Mm. What, what can they do or not do within their environment mm. to sort of start waking up and start feeling something more on the inside as opposed to externally rearranging pieces in their life? Yes. The simple answer that, to that question is to integrate very short, doable practices into your life, which take just a few minutes at a time, so that you, throughout your day, you can begin to punctuate the usual routine with accessing your own nature. And in answer to that question, if you don't mind a, a, a mercy, a, 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 a shameless commercial plug here, I wrote a book recently called Leap Before You Look, which lists 72 of those little interventions you can bring to your day-to-day -day life so that in the midst of standing in line at the bank, poof, you can do a little, a little practice that just takes you a few seconds and you're back into presence again. Now, this is cumulative, you see. 
if you start out practicing on day one, you're going to feel just a little bit, a little bit uh, calmer and more shifted. But it's, it's like compound interest. If you practice every day, after seven days, you'll really notice something happening. After three weeks, you'll be a whole different person. And this, I think, is a principle that many teachers have recognized, that change happens through small steps that build upon each other. And there are, there are really countless, countless ways of bringing your true nature forward into the fabric of your day-to-day life, not so much that your external life has to change, but that now your external life is lit up by the presence of who you really are, which is happiness, which is love, which is peace. It's just overlooked. Can you share a practice for all our listeners of maybe what to do when we're facing stress at work? when we've just had one of those crazy days or our boss or colleagues are all driving us crazy. What is a practice that can help us go more internal to handle that? Lovely. Yes, I'd love to do that. Maybe I could actually read you one aloud. Sure, go ahead. From the book. Um, So this is a a practice that anyone can share. And uh, I'm I'm going to read you a practice called STOP, which is actually the second practice in the book. Um, the, the practices in the book are graded by level of difficulty. This is a one star, which means it's a very easy practice for anyone to integrate right away. Here it is. In the midst of your busy day, when there seem to be so many things to do, stop. Stop moving. Stop talking. Stop what you're doing and feel. Hold your body in the same position. Feel this moment just as it is. Hear the sounds. Notice the sensations in the body. Notice the speed and texture of your thoughts. Remain like this for 60 seconds. See? The world around you continues even without your involvement. Who are you now? outside the game. Now, from here, continue with your day. Love it. I'm going to have to ask you another one. Okay. What's one for when we are triggered by something that our spouse or loved one is doing and it just sends us over the edge? Oh, I love how you put me on the spot. Okay, let's go for it. I'm going to give you practice number 26. Uh, Here we go. It's called Welcome All Feeling. This has a a, a difficulty level of two. Whenever you feel provoked, irritated, pulled to make a response, stop. Sit back in the scaddle. Scan your body and notice what you're feeling. Seek out any areas of strong emotional tension. Feel what's there. If it helps you label it, sadness, anger, desire, whatever it may be, stay with the sensations. Dropping the story, the why and the because. Do everything you can to experience what is here to the maximum possible degree for no more than a few minutes. Then relax. Feel your interiority as though for the first time. If there's more emotional tension calling to be felt in this moment, take a few extra minutes to welcome feeling even more totally. Keep going until the charge is gone. Feel yourself now. You are not just a loving person, dear friend. You are love itself. 
Uh, Jenna, I'm curious, do you find that men and women view happiness differently? Or are we really just all souls within certain bodies? That's another brilliant question. I wish we had about five hours for this conversation because <laughs> you asked really good questions. Um, I would say that the way that men and women access happiness is extremely different, but I want to put a little refinement on it. I wouldn't say exactly men and women. I would say that the way that the masculine in all of us finds happiness and the way that the feminine in all of us finds happiness is different. Most women, of course, are, are more feminine, and most men are more masculine, which is why the two words are associated. But it's to do with masculine and feminine energy. I would suggest to you that masculine energy feels happy when it's extremely centered, extremely still, when it's like a, a still point in the middle of the storm, like a lighthouse. The feminine, on the other hand, in all of us, which is, of course, more prominent in women, feels happy when she can feel any emotion to its outermost limit, when she can really feel any feeling and let it just take her completely. When she is taken over by feeling, she discovers that all feelings are transformed into love. So yes, there are different practices for the masculine and the feminine, and that is something absolutely that I, I dwell upon in all of my books, is the necessity to recognize that and to choose practices or to be guided into practices that are going to be right for you. Here's another question. What's the best way to help a friend or a loved one to be happy? We're, we often have some negative people that we work with, some unhappy people are always focused on what's going wrong. Yeah. How can we give them that gift of sort of accessing more of the true happiness in them? Well, I think there's probably two levels to that. The first level would be that actually I think one has to kind of wean oneself off the idea that you can give someone else happiness because happiness is really who they are. And um, really, uh, happiness I don't think is so much of a gift to be given from the outside. It's more a treasure to be found within yourself when you give up on the outside. But that's, just, that's perhaps a little bit of a harsh and absolutist view of the thing. I think a simpler way to, to, to serve somebody would be to be extremely present with them. So whether someone's feeling unhappy or grumpy or excited or stressed, if you can find ways to show up in a way that's extremely present, present in your body, present in your feelings, present in your gaze, if you can be really present with another person, that will in a way become infectious and allow them to connect with their own presence and to feel that wellspring of happiness inside of them. And I'm guessing you'll probably have the same answer for this question because we are, we're all about change and helping people both make changes in their life but also handle some tough changes. Yeah. How do you help someone find a bit more of that joy and happiness after they've gone through a tough change or, or some sort of bad news? Like, What's, the, what's really the, the way to come back into ourselves despite all the negative emotions and feelings that we might be feeling? Well, I just read a really great book about that recently, actually. You did. Which one was that? <laughs> I think it's called The First 30 Days, something like oh, that. Very kind. <laughs> no, so actually, I've got to say, I think you, you really do cover a lot of the answers to those questions very thoroughly in your book. But I'll give you, I'll give you my own little potted version of that. Um, the first thing is to really give yourself the space to feel. Because um, 
mostly the suffering we experience is not so much through what we're feeling, it's through the resistance to what we're feeling and the way that feeling and resistance get locked into a battle with each other and then become a sort of um, become propagated over time. So that would be the first dimension is to really allow yourself to feel and to enjoy feeling, even seemingly negative states. Find a way to welcome them. A second dimension would be to look at where you're attached to external things and to enjoy letting go. I think everybody has found ways that you can empty out your garage and free yourself of clutter and feel good about it. It can feel great to let go of things. So if something's leaving your life anyway, find a way to let it go with joy, uh, to, be, to, be, to enjoy the feeling of being less, less encumbered. Uh, and another thing, of course, is to seek out, as I think you talk about in your book, to seek out the hidden blessing in the situation. To, and that's a great practice that, I, that is in the Leap Before You Look, is every day to really set some time aside to consciously give gratitude for what's been given as a gift that day. And it's amazing, even when you feel despair, anxiety, um, even when you feel the world's falling apart, if you really stop and pay attention it's amazing how many things happen each day that were unexpected blessings and gifts. If you focus on those, of course, they flourish more. I want to talk about this one word that you mentioned in that answer, which is attachment. How, I think we all have at least one big thing that we kind of think is going to make us happier. Mm. So, for example, you know, parents think that really having that baby they've been trying to have is going to make them happier. Um, someone who's trying to make the bills really, really needs the money to make them happy. Someone who's been fired really needs the job to make them happier. H how do we detach from that one thing that is kind of ruling our life? Well, you know, my advice would be not so much to detach from it, but to take it in. Now, one of the areas that I work with a lot, it's actually probably the area that I've had most success with in terms of worldly coaching, is helping single people to magnetize their mate. And the way that I help people do that is to, to take the longing for the external mate and to really stay with the longing, but to take it in, to take it into yourself so you continue to really have very strong longing, but instead of taking it out into a search in the world where you're looking for somebody, to really take it in and to, in fact, connect with the beloved who you've not yet met inside yourself. In the same way, I think if somebody wanted to have a baby, rather than going to fertility clinics and reading books and, you know, all that stuff, would be to actually, actually feel on a sort of, mm, what, a non-physical dimension that there is a baby already there. A baby is coming, and you can begin to actually communicate with the baby, nurture the baby, love the baby, so you actually cultivate in your life a feeling that you are already a parent. There is a baby here already. And I'm sure you know this, Ariane, that when you, when you can create within yourself a feeling of fulfillment, the outer world will provide the external circumstances to meet that inner fulfillment. So... If somebody wants money, cultivate within yourself a feeling of gratitude, of affluence. One great thing you can do is there's a website you can go to, um, which I'm sorry, I forget exactly the name of it, but if you type in like how much money do I make or how rich am I, uh, it'll show you a scale of where, you, where your income is relative to the rest of the world. 
And almost anyone in this country is going to find they're in the top, you know, 1%, 2%, 3%, the top few percent of the world's riches. When you see a statistic like that, instead of worrying about money, you may start to feel very affluent and remember that there are people throughout Africa and Asia who are living on uh, less than a dollar a day. Gak. Actually, two billion of them right now. Beautiful. Arjuna, the way that we end off all of our, our interviews here on... Oh, is it time already? Yes, it is. Oh. The way that we end off all of our interviews on the show is to ask our experts the same three questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here they are. The first one is, what is the belief that you go to in times of change and transition in your own life? Well, I'm going to be a little naughty and say no belief. The place I go to is the dimension of myself where there is no belief. I tend to feel, rather like Gurdjieff said, I tend to feel that all belief is somehow a limitation. So I, I relax into the place in myself where there is nothing happening, where there is no belief for or against anything. Here's the second one. What is... Fill in the sentence. Mm -hmm. The best thing about change is? Opportunity. The best thing about change is it's always going to give you a new vista. And as one door closes, a new one opens. The best thing about change is if you can celebrate it in the right way, it always opens a new vista of possibility for you. And here's the last one. What is the best change that you've ever made? The best change that I've ever made was shifting the attention from mind to that which is aware of mind. That, that shift happened in a moment out of time in 1991, and nothing has been the same since. Beautiful. Arjuna, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, for your, thank you. thanks for your wisdom, your insights, your love and communication of a, a subject that we all, we all feel deeply into. So for more information about Arjuna, his work, his foundation, his coaching, his seminars, and also his wonderful books, please visit his website, which is livingessence.com. And his new book as well is, as he said, Leap Before You Look. And for more interviews, more exports, more inspiration, more information, please visit us on the web at first30days.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from First30Days.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes in the Society and Culture section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of the First 30 Days Incorporated. Copyright 2008. All rights reserved.